spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Hey, notes to remember in the National Football League. The season never ends, right? That's the way they like it, and they do a great job with their marketing machine. Uh, March 9th is when teams can talk to players and agents about a potential free agent deal, and then March 11th, they can put pen to paper. So, uh, what are we? Uh, this is March 1st. We're about, oh, by the way, happy first uh, Friday uh, on uh, March 1st, and happy birthday to our cat Gonzo. He's 10 today. Um, anyways, uh, 10 days away from being able to sign players. So who will the Browns sign on that first day, March 11th? They're meeting with all the rookies in Indianapolis at the Combine right now, but you know what else is happening? Agents are there. GMs are there. They're all, you know, talking legally or illegally. Let's get some insight on this by going to the hotline right now and bring in Browns beat reporter at brownzone.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott Petrak. He is Scott Petrak. Scotty, how big of a factor is this combine? Maybe not so much just for the draft, but for what is about to happen in free agency. Oh, yeah, it's huge. It's the whole NFL world, or maybe not the whole. I know some coaches stayed home, but a big chunk of the NFL world shows up in Indianapolis for a week, and all kind of stuff gets done. There's the draft prospects, um, you know, that are interviewed and work out and evaluated medically. And then there's the lead-up to free agency, and the groundwork is laid. I mean, there's teams there, there's agents there, conversations take place. And yeah, with free agency less than two weeks away, I think you're two days off, Kenny. I think the negotiating period starts the 11th, and the signings can happen the 13th. Um, okay, my bad, thanks. Two weeks from now. But, um, you know, it's only two weeks away, right? So there's you got to get going on that, and that's first. So it's kind of these dual tracks of, all right, free agency and the draft and the combines, the perfect setting for both of those things. Scotty, it's a good thing Kenny's cat wasn't born yesterday. He'd only be about two. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about all this free agency stuff, and I start thinking about numbers, and I start thinking about the salary cap. I don't know that I believe in it that much, but the big story last week or earlier this week, I guess I should say, was the restructuring of Denzel Ward. And then I read on, and it said maybe Amari Cooper and Deshaun Watson, too. Do you think that will happen? And now that they increased the limit of how much you can spend and the salary cap goes up to 255 are the Browns going to go into the season or at least into free agency under the cap? Well, they have to. <laughs> you can't be over the cap when the league year starts. So that was why the Denzel Ward restructure was necessary at this point okay. because it cleared 11-plus million. They were about $8 million under, or I mean over, so this puts them under. Now, you're right. Deshaun Watson and Amari Cooper and Nick Chubb, right, those okay. three contracts you mm-hmm. look at and say, you can restructure and create money for the salary cap. And I would expect, I mean, Chubb will get done at some point. I don't know if it will happen right now in order to clear cap space. But you could do either of the other guys and shift money to bonus from salary and if you want to add a dummy year to the end of the contract, you can do that. Whatever's necessary to create space. And the Browns have those options. So 
they're going to sign guys. They're going to sign more than, you know, more guys and take up the $3 million they're under. So, yeah, there'll be another contract to two restructure. And, you know, the Browns, I think, think of it more as a bookkeeping procedure than a big deal to create this kind of space. So they'll have it and they'll have enough room to move. And the $30 million, you know, it helps everybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, in one sense it's good because it made it easier for the Browns to get under the cap. In the other sense, it creates a whole bunch of money in the market. So guys that the Browns want, um, they're probably going to be more expensive. Scotty, this team in studying players at the draft, a lot different than most teams because they don't have a first-round pick. Yeah. They're not picking, what, till 54th, I think? Is that what it yep. is in the second round? Yep. So how does that affect them? Do they still study first-round players in case somebody drops and they want to trade up to get them, or do they just focus on, all right, who's probably going to be there at 54? Yeah, that's an interesting one, Kenny. I know that they would tell you that they still study everybody, and I believe them, right, because you never know, right? We saw, and this is a one-off, but I think it's applicable. Remember Larry Mitunsel, you know, the night of the draft, the bong man, and – he drops. Are you supposed to be number one pick and he drops? Well, if your team drafted in 15th that year, and Miami wound up taking him, I think, right, they probably thought there's no way they were going to draft him. And then, you know, what if you hadn't done the due diligence in the next right. research? So I think you have to do it on everybody. Now, you know, are they crunching tape on Caleb Williams and Drake May? I wouldn't think so. You know, do they watch him just to have an idea? I'm sure. And they have scouts, right? The scouts watched him all year long. So it's not like it's a new; these are new prospects. But right. I think it's a combination of being realistic, but then covering all your bases at the same time. And then Phil Savage used to talk about it a lot. Um, he was the first guy I remember hearing it. That you scout these guys and do a lot of work on them because then they're going to become free agents. And so much of your research is done then. Nice. So, and Andrew Barry's talked about it when he signed Tech McKinley, when he signed your David County. Those are guys that they really liked in the draft process. And all that information is still relevant when they become free agents. Jeremiah Usukormo was the greatest pick they've made. I mean, obviously, you could say Nick Chubb in the second round, but again, we see how high up running backs get drafted. Usukormo was phenomenal, and I think it gives the Browns the ability to study the players and their needs a little bit better than taking the sexy pick. And we've seen in this draft, a lot of times it's quarterbacks, Scott Petrak. How many quarterbacks, in your opinion, will be taken between one? In 54? Quarterbacks, huh? Um, Because I look at it this way, Scotty, not to cut you off, but every quarterback that's taken, we're not looking at quarterback that early in the second round. You move up. I got you. It's five. Yep. I get what you're saying. Um, Six? Off the top of my head. Okay. Right? You got the three guys at the top, um, Knicks, Panix, and. the Michigan McCarthy, right? Right. I think yeah. those six are automatic to go before 54. And, I'm, and I haven't done a ton of okay. direct research because I'm not going to take one. But I would think at least those six. So, yeah, so you could make the argument the Browns are then drafted in whatever, 48. Um, right. I get your point. And, and I think that applies for different positions, too. If, okay. For instance, if the, the, I don't think the Browns have drafted a cornerback high, right, because right. they have Denzel Ward and – Martin Emerson Jr. and Greg Newsome, and they drafted Cam Mitchell. Well, they need to add that. You know, you always need to add depth to that position, and you need a future plan and all that. But I'd be surprised if the Browns drafted a corner at 52, right? Just for from a need perspective. Okay. So all the corners that go by then is saving you a spot, right? 
if you're looking receiver, defensive end, defensive tackle, any other position, all the offensive tackles, take them all, right? Because you're hoping that your position groups you're chasing, um, that those guys, that that position falls because other ones go first. Nice. Happy to have with us outstanding Browns beat reporter Scott Petrak, brownzone.com. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Petrak. Scotty, do you have a feel? What, let me first ask this. What year is this for Andrew Barry as the general manager? Five. Okay. So he's been here a while, and you've covered him all five years. Do you have a feel for his mentality on draft night? Is it best player available? Is it for need? What, what have you learned about Andrew Barry uh, in uh, the, the four years he's been here entering his fifth draft? He would tell you that it's more about best player. I think that's the organizational philosophy. Okay. And I think they've been able to get there in the last couple of years, right? 2010 is their first year. You knew they were going to draft a tackle at number 10. Right? There were a bunch of tackles. They needed a tackle. Joe Thomas had just gotten hurt, right? Or just, you know, they, they were still trying to find that, you know, long-term replacement for Joe. Um, there were a bunch of good tackles. They were gonna, it felt like they were going to take a tackle. Um, you know, and then Greg Newsom at corner in 2021, like that always felt like a connection because they needed a corner. Um, he seemed like a good fit. So, uh, you know, it, it, the, the later you get in the draft, I think it's harder to just say we're going to take a position because you don't know who's going to go, right? By number 54, you could say, hey, we're committed to taking a receiver. Well, if 15 receivers go, you know, you're kind of forcing a pick there. So I, I think as the roster has gotten better, and it has gotten better, and the Browns still have the first-round pick the last three years, it just lends itself to taking the best player. And sometimes that comes after trade-down, right, which the Browns did um, in 2022. You know, last year they traded the pick, the second-round pick for Elijah Moore. But, you know, Martin Emerson, when they drafted him, he was, you know, an early pick for them in 2022. Like, they didn't need a corner. They had Denzel Ward. They had Greg Newsom. Um, but they went and got him because they thought he was the best player. I think you can make an argument that they receiver wasn't their biggest need last year in the draft, uh, after, especially after trading for Elijah Moore. And they go out and draft Seth Tillman, right? Same with Siaki Eakin. They drafted Tillman and Eakin in the third round last year, and they'd addressed both those things with veterans in free agency and through trades. But yet they felt those guys were the best players, and it fits with their – you know, the parallel tracks of right now and the roster, you know, two, three, four years from now. Scotty, the receiver position, I I look at it as still a a position of need for them, opposite uh, Amari Cooper. What do you feel is the most likely way they try and fill maybe uh, the number two spot uh, on the team? Is it trade? Is it draft? Is it free agency? Kenny, I think it's interesting. I'm not sure they share the belief that you do. I wow. share your belief. I'm not sure they think it's as big a need. I, I, I think they're going to address it, um, and I'd be stunned if they didn't, and I'd be stunned if they didn't address it relatively significantly. But I kind of believe Andrew Barry when he says, you know, hey, not a lot of teams have or Mary Cooper and David Njoku, and we consider that our receiving group, right? So I don't know if he thinks it's a dire need. Having said that, what makes sense to me is you sign a – second or third tier free agent who's not going to break the bank um, but it, you, you think can come in and whether he fits at number two or he fits at number three, he fits somewhere um, and then you go draft a guy in the second or third round and you you 
couple those two guys and you add them to Cooper and Moore and Tillman, and if you want to throw David Bell in there, right? Because Cooper's going to be entering the last year of his contract unless they reach an extension. Moore's entering the last year of his contract. So you also have that eye on the future. So, you know, is it a Gabe Davis from Buffalo or Darnell Mooney from the Bears paired with, you know, a Roman Wilson from the University of Michigan or a Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky, right? I, I can kind of see those, a pairing of those type of guys adding to that receiver room. And I, I hope they do address it because – uh, it's been an issue with this. The, the last really good wide receiver, Scott Petrack, with the Cleveland Browns is who? Josh Gordon? Well, really, no, I mean, Cooper's legit. I mean, he's a legit pro bowler. Okay, right? all right. And they, I mean, all right. And, like, they had Odell and Jarvis, right? Like, like Jarvis had really good years. Um, so it's tough. Like, I, I get what you're saying, and it, and it does feel like they're a guy short. Um, but here's what I find interesting, Kenny, is – I, I, I agree with you, and I think they need to improve the supporting cast. I also know that when Joe Flacco was in the game, that they threw for a bunch of yards, right? So mm-hmm. you can have a passing game without, like, stud receivers. It helps. They have a really good one in Amari Cooper. Um, it's such a sexy position that you always want to – not you. People always want to talk about it, and I get it. And I do think there's a need there. But I also see the other side that, hey, if your quarter play, quarterback plays really well, then he makes the receivers look good, yep. right? You see that in Kansas City, mm-hmm. or you see that in other spots. So I think it's a delicate balance. It's a great point. Dude, I've been saying that yeah. for weeks because there was such a difference in the way that he throws the ball and delivers it because we've seen it even with Deshaun Watson for whatever reason, throw at guys' feet, throw it behind guys, and let's face it, when we consider our receivers, especially someone like David Njoku, the one thing we've always said is doesn't have great hands. But when you put it right there, man, he runs right into it, and that's the beautiful thing about Joe Flacco. Scotty, where does Joe Flacco end up next year? I don't think it's Cleveland. Um, I know both sides haven't ruled it out, and I expect the Browns to talk to Joe's agent during the combine and kind of set the course, right? But I think step one in that course is going to be get to the market and see if there's a spot where he – I don't know if anybody's going to give Joe Flacco a starting job, but he's 39. Okay. Um, but does somebody say, hey, you can be our bridge guy? You know, um, you know, does New England say, hey, we're going to draft a guy three. We don't know if we're going to start him. So you can come in here and mentor him, and if he's not ready, you're the guy, right? Or mm-hmm. whatever situation like, right? There's a bunch of situations like that across the league. Does he go to Pittsburgh and, hey, if Kenny Pickett fails, you're the guy, right? Like those. My point is those – teams have more options, more opportunity for him to play than sitting behind Deshaun Watson, unless you're counting on Watson getting hurt, right? So if you're the player, I think you want to go where the opportunity is, unless it's more about, hey, I want to be on a team that has a chance to go to the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl, and that could change things. But, you know, I talked to Joe Bunch, and he sure felt like a guy that thought he could still play and wanted an opportunity. So I think he'll look, and if there's a team out there that's willing to give him a chance to play, He's going to go, and I think I'll also go where more money is. And I think the Browns are going to have a limit on how much they're going to spend on that backup quarterback. And good for him, too. And it was such a fun story, and it was such a great fit for him to come in. Maybe expectations weren't sky high. Maybe people didn't give him enough credit or think he could get things done. But what we did see done was a lot of 300-yard passing games and a lot of turnovers as well. But the one thing that I really want to express is the fact that 
when he came in, and it's probably because he wasn't playing anywhere, and we've heard the story a billion times. He's on his couch. Browns bring him in. Next thing we know, they're going to the playoffs. Okay, fine. He loved his teammates. He talked highly about Cleveland, liked the fans and everything else. And then earlier this week, we see this crazy list come out of how the players rank the facilities and everything from the stadium to how they feed their families when they come to a game. Scotty, is it really that bad? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that player survey report card is really interesting. Um, I got a million thoughts on this, so I'll try to <laughs> try to limit. I mean, if we you, got, pl- if we you got wanna, plenty of time. If you want to attract free agents, that's the reason I bring it up. Yeah, I mean that's that's the purpose of this. That's the original purpose of it. Um, so that the NFLPA could give 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 players, give free agents, an idea of where the best places to go. And if you value A, B, and C, look to these teams. Now, having said that, Kansas City ranked 31st. They're only ranked 32nd, and they've won the last two Super Bowls. So it's, there's not a direct correlation from winning here, right? Now, Andy Reid was the number one coach, so that balances some of it. Um, but you look at the Browns, and the weight room and the locker room were the two, two of the biggest areas. Well, they're going to build a new weight room, and they knew it wasn't good enough when they, they shifted it in COVID to the indoor facility, the practice field, and it was kind of makeshift, and they were trying to figure out what to do, so they're going to build a new weight room. I don't know if they're building it just because of the survey, but they said they're going to build a new weight room. The locker room, they're kind of limited. You know, the building's only so big. Um, they added to the practice squad, so that kind of squeezes the space in the locker room, so I think they're just kind of have to live with that for now. I don't think a guy doesn't come here in free agency because the locker's not big enough. Um, you know, and then I think they'll try to get better at – like the family treatment thing. That's an interesting one where there's not a designated or the designated place for the family and, team and players to meet up is in the parking lot, right? And it gets mm-hmm. cold in Cleveland. They complain about that. I don't think that's a deal breaker, right? Guys have to room with somebody the night before a game, which I find interesting. Um, again, I don't know if that's a deal breaker either, right? Some teams charge guys to, to have a separate room in the, on the road. So it, it's, I think it's worthy or worthwhile. I think teams look at it. Um, Kevin Stefanski got a B minus, and some players said he didn't take great advantage of their time. And he said he'd never heard that complaint, and his door's always open. So maybe they caught guys on a bad day um, when, you know, when they're filling it out. I, I think the Browns will listen and try to admit, you know, one of the criticisms was they didn't have enough um, staff, like physical therapy staffers. Okay. So I think they'll add to that. That's something sounds like Jimmy Aslam would be willing to do to, you know, improve that grade and make the players happy. Um, but I also think if, like, my work said, hey, fill out a survey. You know, it's not going to be, yeah, I love this, I love this. Okay. It's going to be the vending machine stinks, right? Like, <laughs> you're going like, to complain about stuff. I think that's the kind of nature of the, of the beast, and it, maybe it looks a little worse than it is. Hey, man, they turned us on to those Uncrustables when we were there for training camp. <laughs> Scotty, so just because I told Kenny this, this had nothing to do with those wild chickens that used to run around behind that fence, does it? I don't think so. Okay, good. Okay, well, we're safe there. Chickens. Yeah, there you go. You know, uh, Scotty, we're going to hear from him later, uh, but give us a little preview maybe of what Andrew Barry told you guys yesterday. Anything uh, newsworthy or worthwhile, or should we not even play it? <laughs> I think it's probably worth <laughs> playing. Um, as a, few ago, a few days ago now, um, you know, he talked about the Deshaun Watson rehab, you know, that he's going to start throwing in March, and I think it'll be, you know, probably a couple weeks from now. Uh, you know, so that's newsworthy, right? That's a big deal. And the Browns feel he's going to be able to bounce back. And the, the, the shoulder's not going to be an issue moving forward. They expect him to be a participant in the offseason program. 
at least to some degree, he wouldn't commit to, you know, the full participant, but that they expect him to participate. Throwing's obviously a huge first step. Now he's got to be able to throw it. He's got to be able to throw it well, and he's got to be able to throw it pain-free. And we'll see how that progresses because it's an unusual injury for a, you know, for a quarterback. Um, it's obviously in a key spot on his body. So that's like the number one question hanging over this offseason, right? Is he going to be the guy? Because if he's not, then you're going to have to go get a big-time backup, right, and spend money there. But they're confident he's going to be the guy. Um, you know, Andrew talked about they're going to go back to the Greenbrier for training camp. They're going to host the Vikings for joint practices, although Stefanski said that's not official official yet, but Barry announced it, so I feel pretty confident it's going to happen. Um, you know, he talked about the tackle situation, and – you know, he's going to have, they're going to have three, right? It's conceivably three starters coming back in Conklin, Jones, and Wills. And he said he expects all of them to be ready for the regular season. They're all on different timetables. And they'll figure it out after that, right? Do they keep all three? Um, do they have one for insurance? What can they do there? It's probably too early to decide that. But, you know, like they always like to say, it is a good problem to have, having three starting caliber tackles. Um, not a real big Nick Chubb update. I'm not going to spoil anything there, but talk a little bit about Nick Chubb. What about the play calling, Scotty? Uh, he has said he hasn't decided yet. Okay, well, does that mean he's feeling the pressure from, uh, you know, management to possibly make a change, and that's why they haven't decided yet, or he doesn't have a good feel yet for Ken Dorsey understanding his offense yet? Where, where, where do you think this plays out, or how do you think this plays out? Yeah. I, I don't get the sense, like, I understand the question, and I think it's a legitimate question, especially about, like, the front office saying, hey, maybe go to somebody else, right? Because we know decisions in that building are collaborative, right? Whether yeah. it's staff or whatever, you know, the staff changes. Having said that, I've always gotten the impression that, especially from Andrew Barry, he hasn't been shy about it at all. They think Kevin Spancy does a really good job calling plays. So I don't think there's a sense of you have to give this up. But when he hired Ken Dorsey, Ken Dorsey has some experience doing that. What, did they make an agreement when they hired him, right, and said, hey, yeah, Ken, you can call the plays? Now, if they did, maybe we would know that by now. Um, I, I think Kevin Stefanski does have an open mind and is willing to consider giving it up. But the fact that he didn't just say, yes, Ken's going to call them, I think right. Stefanski will continue to call the plays. Yeah, I'm with you. He's a two-time coach of the year calling plays, right, Scotty? Right. Yeah. Uh, so w- why would you give that up if you've been to the playoffs twice and you've won the coach of the year twice, even though I, I think maybe it would be a good thing and maybe management thinks, doesn't he have that on his resume to go into Jimmy Haslam or Paul D. Podesta and say, hey, uh, the reason uh, you're going to sign me to this new contract is because uh, of this, this, and this? Yeah, for sure. It's it's the coach of the year. It's two playoffs. It's all the stuff you just mentioned. And I can't even... I've always thought he was a pretty good play caller, and I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that he is incredibly smart, that he sets things up, that he sets game plans up. That doesn't mean he's perfect. That doesn't mean every call is right. You know, if you want to go three and third and three against Seattle or, you know, a reverse against whoever they called the reverse against, it blew up on him. Um, right. You know, like he, there's certainly instances you can point to, but I think overall he does a really good job as a play caller, and I think, it, I think he was at his best in 2023. Denver. Yeah. It was Denver. Thank you. Denver. Oh, is yeah. that it? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. You remember this. Oh, you didn't God. forget that. Okay. Oh, my. Uh, hey, it happens, right? And like you said, uh, for the most part. Uh, and, Scotty, how much of it, though, 
Joe Flacco, the quarterback, was he better suited for the offense that, that Stefanski runs, and is it going to be an issue with Deshaun the, the Watson, who's a completely different quarterback than Joe Flacco? Right. I think there is a higher comfort level with a quarterback who can run that play-action, drop-back, bootleg system, right? The, you know, the play-action, then you roll out, and all the, all the stuff we saw Joe Flacco do. All the stuff we saw Baker Mayfield do for a couple of years. Kevin Stefanski's got more experience in that. I don't think that prevents him from being good with Deshaun Watson and vice versa. We saw glimpses with him calling plays for Deshaun Watson, whether it was against Washington in 2022, Tennessee, Arizona, and Baltimore, the second half of Baltimore last year, yeah. right? So I, I think he can do it, but I'll tell you this. The, the fact that they got a guy like Ken Dorsey and that they overhauled the offensive staff is to take better advantage of Deshaun Watson's skill set and maximize that. And you go get a guy like Tommy Reese, who's a college coordinator at Notre Dame in Alabama, you bring some of those college elements that Deshaun Watson's game is suited to. So it's not just Deshaun Watson, it's the evolution of the game, but they're connected. A guy like Dorsey worked with Cam Newton, worked with Josh Allen. All of this is to expand the offense, and I don't think Kevin Stefanski will have – I know he wants to do that, and I don't think he'll have any trouble adjusting to that. Plenty to still watch this offseason with the Cleveland Browns, and you can get all the information at brownzone.com or on Twitter at Scott Petrack. Scotty, thanks so much for the time and the info. Have a great weekend. Thanks, folks.